Excuse me. I am one of the pastors here. If you are a guest, it's so good to have you with us. And as we worship together as God's people, we love to center our worship around the Word of God. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read just the first three verses of this part of God's wonderful word. Thank you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him. Father, we ask that you would bless us this morning, that in the hearing of your word, our hearts and lives would be affected, would be changed to the praise of your glory. Amen. Well, we are, we are starting a new series of messages this morning, studying our way through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And we've, we've come up with a real simple title for this series, calling it simply, In. In, understanding our identity in Jesus Christ. You may, you may wonder why Ephesians. Well, it's because there's probably no part of the Bible that presents what it means to be a Christian in relationship with God more wonderfully than does this letter. There is in Ephesians such a, a soaring expression of what God our Father has given us and promised us in Jesus that all you have to do is really one careful and prayerful reading of the book and your life will be changed. This book shows us in unparalleled ways the connection between the the good news of Jesus Christ and our lives. It it presents the gospel to us and then describes what a truly gospel-centered and gospel-defined life looks like. And among the things that it tells us is this, that, that we as Christians are in Jesus Christ, and being in Him, we are those whose identity is wrapped up in, our identity is taken up into the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm calling this message as we begin Identity basics. I don't know if you are aware of this. You may be guessing it, but I think the numbers might surprise you. There are 93 million selfies posted every day. One study shows that the average 16 to 25-year-old woman spends five hours per week taking selfies with the number one motive being a desire to get a lot of likes. 
Now, of course, a guy that looks like me is, is not going to post selfies in order to get a lot of likes, at least not pictorial selfies, maybe verbal ones. Post something that says something that'll get a lot of likes. Somebody else counts up how many Twitter followers he has. This is a, this is a kind of identity by the numbers quest that human beings are on. It's a part of a universal identity crisis that is rocking our world. Humans today are facing an identity confusion and crisis that I think may well be unprecedented in the history of the world. We live, we live in a time and a culture in which the classroom tells us that we are no more than King Kong's cousins. It's hard to have a positive identity with that. Or we live in a culture in which the unborn, even though they have human DNA and a human heart and human arms and human legs and human hands and human eyes and human brains are denied their humanity and are discarded at will. We live in a culture in which people are talking about gender identity, People in 12-step programs identify themselves as alcoholics. People define themselves by their addictions or their problems or their griefs or their losses. People define themselves by their income, their style, their skin color, their car, their neighborhood, their spouse, their children, their stock portfolio. Mass murderers and suicide bombers seek their minutes of fame or their eternal significance in a few final blazing moments of carnage or an explosion of mayhem. And all the language of self, self-esteem and self-fulfillment and self-actualization and self-improvement, all of this is expressive, folks, of an identity crisis. And millions and millions of people, probably billions, are doing life today so busy and so scattered and so much on the run and so ruled by other people's expectations and demands that they, they live lives of what the poet said, quiet desperation. They're trapped in everydayness. They are tyrannized by the mundane. They don't know who they are. Their lives lack significance. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that a gospel understanding and defining Christian is able to know who he is, who she is, whose they are. And knowing whose they are and where they stand in Christ, they find their identity. Here's, here's the main point for this morning. A believer's identity is found in Christ. For and under God in the world. A believer's identity is found in Christ for and under God in the world. This may not be what we always feel, but folks, in the sight of God right now, if you are a believer, your identity is found in Jesus Christ. For and under God in this world. And, and, and I get that right from the greeting of this letter. Let's look at, let's look at verses 1 through 3. 
First of all, we just noticed the author of the letter. This is in chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is, this is a, a very old letter written by a very important person. A few weeks ago, Galey and I were doing the final stages of clearing out our house in Tom's River. It is now sold. It is now gone. It is now somebody else's problem. And uh, as we were, as, yes, you may applaud that. Um, and, and as we've been going through the stuff, we, we found this bag with about 80 to 100 letters that Galen and I had written to my parents back between 1975 and 85, which I think is an archaeological discovery, something <laughs> akin to the Dead Sea Squirrels or something. This, this is ancient history going on. Yeah, but I, you know, as we're reading through these letters, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a couple of things that are very different from Paul's letter here. First of all, we didn't start off each letter, Tim and Galene, to mom and dad. We, we stuck our names on the end. Yeah, that's just the cultural way back in these days in the New Testament. That's how they started, just identified the author first, Paul. Something else that was very different is, I, I don't recall ever in our letters saying, Tim, an apostle of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, that just wasn't in these letters. Yeah. There, there's something in that word. There's something in this greeting. There's something in this introduction that, that makes this letter from Paul sound very significant. It, it matters. Paul, Paul is saying, I am an apostle. If, in case you don't know, that means a sent one. That's somebody who has been commissioned, Paul says, by the will of God. Paul introduces his letter by identifying himself as a messenger of God. What he's saying is, I speak for God. What you are about to read is the very word of God. What you are about to read is God speaking through me. Paul, an apostle. He says it even more dramatically in Galatians 1 where he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now he's, he's pulling all, all the stops there to grab the attention of the reader. Pay attention. I'm talking for God. What you're about to see and hear and learn, this is God's word. This is God's truth. This is God's message to you. Folks, if, if I ever stand up here and say that, I suggest you storm the pulpit, grab me by the ears, drag me up the stairs, throw me out the door, and lock it quick. Don't let me ever back in. For me to ever stand up and say, what I say, what I declare is the Word of God, is worse than arrogance. Worse than But Paul says it. In case you're one who's tending to be skeptical and doubtful of that, you know, what do you mean, somebody speaking for God? Well, Paul, Paul was, you know, there are people nowadays who still say this kind of thing. You know, God talked to me and said, I'm, you're supposed to do this. Um, usually they, they, they want your money or, or they, they want power over you. Or they, you know, they, they want to grab something, popularity and power. But Paul wasn't like that. 
He said, God talked to me, yes, and God has told me what to say to you, but he then went on to live a life of absolute sacrifice and service all the way to the point of martyrdom. He was a man that had credibility. He was a man who we need to listen to. And this is why I say in my definition of, of our identity that a Christian, a believer, is someone who is under God. Someone, it's a man, a woman, a young person who realizes that we are under the word of God. We are under the voice of God. We live our lives according to the book, according to the Bible. We believe this is God's word. And so... Just from the introduction of the author, we learn something about ourselves, right? Paul, an apostle, Paul is saying, I am an apostle. That means you are to hear and you are to receive and you are to place your heart and your mind under what you hear from me. Let's go on. Let's notice the recipients of the letter. Notice that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul addresses this to believers, those he calls faithful, men and women who had come to faith in Jesus and were staying faithful to Jesus. And we learn a couple things about them. We learn whose they are and then where they live. Notice, first of all, whose they are. In verse 1, the second part of verse 1, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That word saints is a word that means simply, it's an old, old Greek word, it means to be set apart, to be consecrated for God. A saint is, is someone who is set apart from sin, from unbelief, from the world in order to live for God. Now, people today misuse the word all over the place. They assign it to a special class of Christians who have uncommon levels of grace and holiness and maybe even miracle working ability. But that's not what the Bible means by the word saint. In the Bible, the word saint is simply a word referring to every believer. Every single Christian is a saint. Every single person who has come to faith in Christ has been set apart from his old life, her old life, for God, to serve God, to live for God, to live under God, to live, to devote life to God. And Paul says, this, is, this, is a, this letter is for you saints. This, this is for you people who belong to God. You, you people who are possessed by God in all the wonderful depths of that word. You people who, who are God and are consecrated to him. A believer's identity is found in Christ for and under God in the world. Now, we also learn where they live. This is important. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. You can almost say they have two homes. One is geographical and one is spiritual. The, the geographical, they lived in Ephesus. There's reason in the context, reason in the book to, to think that this letter was to the Ephesians, but also to surrounding communities and villages of Ephesus. But the focus of the letter was to believers who lived in Ephesus. Ephesus was a first century church. It was the fifth largest church in the Roman Empire in the world at that time. It was made up of about 250,000 people, which is 
more than Upper Darby, Habertown, Lansdowne, Ardmore, and Springfield all put together, and more than all of West Philly. You know, this is a big place. It was also a very bad place. If you know anything about ancient Ephesus, you'll know, first of all, that it was a place where there was a tremendous amount of occultic activity. There was all kinds of witchcraft and magic and stuff going on. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul went into Ephesus and there were new believers, uh, they were coming out of all this occultism and, and they knew they had to renounce it. They had to get rid of it. So they had this huge bonfire. You remember reading about this in Acts? This huge bonfire where they burned all their occult paraphernalia that came to about the value of 50,000 pieces of silver, which in today's currency is $6 million. They came to faith in Christ and they renounced this, this, this way of life that had been surrounded by magic and astrology and all this stuff. Maybe one reason why the book of Ephesians says so much about forces of darkness and dominion and principalities and powers because Paul was writing to people who were surrounded by the demonic, not unlike our world today. There's also a place where sexual immorality was rampant. The temple to Artemis, one of the seven ancient wonders or wonders of the ancient world, uh, was in Ephesus and and, uh, that, you know, if you know anything about the ancient pagan temples, all you need to know is that they had strange ways of worshiping, which very often involved temple prostitution and the rest. I mean, this was, this was an ugly place. It was also a place where there was a public arena that seated 20,000 people. And if you've ever seen, you can see, just Google it, you can find pictures of of this arena, 20,000 people all looking down on this little stage or this little area where the gladiators would fight to the death and where uh, people would be thrown to the lions. This was the world that they lived in. Not a whole lot different from our world, folks. I know we like to think we're more sophisticated and we're more enlightened, and I don't know. I doubt it. I sometimes wonder what would happen in our culture if suddenly it was legal to have sports involvement that were to the death. I think there'd be a lot of people watching. You saw a report this week about what went on when Nazis entered into different countries like Austria And they started to herd Jewish people outside the town and just lined them up and gunned them down. You would think, wouldn't you, that people would have locked themselves up, those that were still in town, they would have locked themselves up in their their homes and shuttered their houses and not wanted to see any of it, but that's not what happened. They all followed the people out and just stood and watched for entertainment purposes. There's something in the human heart that loves violence. Our culture, 
is, is given over to the occultic, to false religions, false faiths. It's, it's given over to sexual immorality. It's, it's given over to violence. We're in the world, aren't we? We can't escape. Broken and it's bad. And it can be intimidating. Who are we and what are we in a, in a world like this? Well, we are those who are in Christ for and under God in the world. We, we are those who are called. We are called not to escape the world, but to enter it and to make a difference for the glory of God. These, these Ephesians, the first recipient of, recipients of these, this letter, they were people who lived in a hostile war zone. But it's important to notice that they also lived at the same time in Christ. Notice what it says, verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They are the faithful ones in Christ. And now, folks, here, here we go. This, this, this takes us where the book of Ephesians is going to take us over and over again. Here is the theme of the book of Ephesians. Being in or in union with Jesus Christ. When you come to faith in Christ, you are connected to Jesus. You are united to Jesus. He becomes the one who represents you and provides you your status, your location, your identity in the presence of God. If you are a believer, you are no longer standing in yourself before God. You're not standing in your own righteousness. You're not standing in your own deeds. You're not standing in your own goodness, your own accomplishments, your own looks, your own wealth, your own success. No, you are standing in Jesus Christ. He clothes you. He represents you. He has accomplished and purchased everything for you that you need. Here is your identity to be in Christ. Years ago, I, I used to preach at a summer camp every year in the summer, summer camp in the summer. And uh, we would take our kids along. And I struck a deal with the camp director. I preach for free if my kids enjoy the week for free. And so my kids would get out of the car and start running around the campgrounds like they owned the place. Every meal they got to eat. Every game they got to play. Every privilege they got to enjoy. I earned it. They got it. Because they were in me. I represented them. I stood before the camp director as their representative. They were in me. Someone who's a, a little child who is born to an American citizen is automatically an American citizen. Why? Because he or she is in mom or dad. Mom and dad represent them. Mom and dad are the source of the little child's privileges and blessings. We are in Christ. He has earned all the blessings. We get the blessings. He has purchased them. We enjoy them. Our status is in Him. And, and 
What difference does that make? Well, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You may be in a war zone, but you are in Christ in the war zone. And being in Christ in the war zone means that you are possessing every spiritual blessing there is. Everything that God has to offer. Everything that heaven has to offer. Everything good is yours in Jesus Christ. This this is the message of Ephesians. And and we're going to see it unfolded in coming weeks and months. In in chapter 1, we're going to see that we are blessed in Christ to be a part of an eternal plan for all ages. We're going to see in chapter 2 that we're blessed to be alive in heavenly places. We're going to see in chapter 2 and all the way through chapter 4 that we're blessed to be a part of a racially integrated church, one new humanity. In chapters 4 through 6, we're we're blessed in Christ to be embarking on a new way of life. This, This is what's ahead of us here. This is what we have. Now, let me get more specific. Let me just give you... In, in just a brief form, let me, let me tell you what you have in Jesus. Let me tell you where you stand. Let me tell you your identity in Christ. This is just taken from the book of Ephesians alone. I, just, I went through the book. Here are your blessings in Christ. You are chosen in Christ in love from before time. You're adopted by God into the family of heaven. You're redeemed from sin and hell by the blood of Jesus. You're forgiven of all of your sins according to God's riches of grace. You are lavished with wisdom and insight through God's truth in Jesus. You're included in an eternal cosmic plan to restore everything to its original design. You are destined to be one with God and His universe with no chaos No disaster in the world. You're you're named as an heir of God with an eternal inheritance. You are sealed and secured by the indwelling Holy Spirit. You are empowered with the almighty strength of the risen Jesus. You're headed toward full dominion over every evil power in the universe. You're alive from the dead. You're seated in Jesus in heavenly places. You're blessed with the immeasurable riches of God's kindness. You are recreated as God's workmanship to do good works. You are united with Jew and Gentile and black and white and tan and rich and poor in one body. You are joined as living stones to be a house of God and the temple for His dwelling. You are pledged by God to benefit from all of His promises. You're given boldness and access to God as your Father. You're loved with a love without limit or end. You're guaranteed to grow and mature to be fully like Christ. You are being made and remade to reflect God's image perfectly. You're called to be light in a dark world. You are gifted and empowered by the Spirit of God. You are taught to love one another as husbands and wives and parents and children. You are given purpose even when you have bad bosses. And you are armored and you are equipped to take on forces of darkness and to stand in this evil day. All of that in Christ. All of that in Christ. This, this is all yours. It is all mine. And it just might be good enough reason to get up in the morning. Just maybe. What is a Christian? A Christian is one 
who believes in Jesus Christ as his or her Savior and Lord, that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead and is seated on the throne of heaven. And the believer is one who has found his identity in Christ for and under God in the world. So what do we do with this? If, if Paul were alive today, he'd probably send us a letter and say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In other words, Risen Hope Church, Paul would say, pay attention, what I'm about to say is from God, so bow your knees and your heart and your will. Live your life under God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, to those of you who have been set apart in eastern Delaware County, you have been set apart from sin and death for God and under God. You who live in the shadow of the city and are called by God to live for God and under God in this broken world. You who are in Christ Jesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, I want you to know every blessing you have, Paul wants us to see. He wants us to hear. So what do we do? How do we, how do we move from here? here I, want to, I want to leave you with just a couple of take-homes. First of all, pray. I, I believe that God has something significant for us as we move our way through the book of Ephesians. I, I, as soon as the decision was made to start this church, I, I, it couldn't have been three days before I thought, you know what, first series, Ephesians. Because we need to be established on these things and in these things. We need to know who we are and where we stand. Pray that the Spirit of God would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive all His truth. Pray that the Spirit of God would bind the forces of darkness that wants to steal this truth from us. And in place of security and identity, bring condemnation and ruin to us. Pray that the enemy will be banished and bound. Pray that our hearts will be prepared week after week to hear from God. God speaks through his word. But don't just pray. Pray for sure. But Take your stand here, my friends. Take your stand. Don't give any ground on these truths. No matter what happens in your life, your identity is not found in your addictions, in your problems, in your sufferings, in your losses. Your identity is not found in your job or your car or your children or your spouse, or your health. Your identity is in Christ. Nothing can touch that. All those other things will either disappear or disappoint. 
But being in Christ is a solid rock, cornerstone, solid rock. Here we stand. There will be times when you don't feel this identity, but you need to understand that this is who you are. No matter what happens, no matter what you face, no matter how hard life hits you, here we stand in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're thinking, wow, <laughs> never heard that stuff before. I thought church was about, well, you just go and you pray and you go through some rituals and you do this and you do that. And maybe it never occurred to you that what Christianity is really all about is being in relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Having your identity, your significance, your worth, your value, your everything in someone else, not yourself. In someone who is infinitely worthy and infinitely valuable and infinitely glorious and infinitely satisfying. If you, if you came in here this morning and you've been, you've been in this quest for significance, this quest for identity, this this quest for something that would satisfy. I am here to tell you that you've heard the answer. The answer is Jesus. The answer is turning from your life of sin and unbelief and saying, God, I know you're there and I'm going to bow before your son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to receive him as my Lord and my Savior that he might become my identity. That I might have all these blessings and all these joys and all this mercy in Him. For Lord, in me, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I came in here empty. The world is running on empty, folks. It's running on empty. But if you are in Christ, it says later in chapter 1 that He is going to fill us. <laughs> He's going to fill us with Himself. We find our identity, we find our satisfaction in Jesus alone. So if you came in here empty, you can leave full. You came in here not knowing who you are or whose you are, well, you can leave knowing whose you are and therefore who you are. You can know that you belong to God, that you belong to Him because He made you and you belong to Him because He died for you and He purchased you with His blood on the cross. And find new life. And find new life. This is why risen hope exists. To offer risen hope. Hope rising in the one who is risen, Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you do not know Jesus, we invite you to just bow your head and your heart before him right now and say, Lord Jesus, make me yours. Save me from myself and my sin. I want to be yours. And for all the rest of us, here we stand. Here we stand. Who are we? What's your identity? In Christ. For and under God. In the world. For his glory. Let's pray. Father, teach us that these things are not just words. Oh, not just words. This is life. 
Everything else is death. This is meaning and fulfillment and joy and glory. Everything else is disappointment and emptiness and futility. Oh, Father, give us more of Jesus. Help us to know more. All that he is and all that we have in him. Amen.